This morning we have with us a Unitarian Universalist preacher long known to me, Marsh Agobert, minister of the Berkeley, California Fellowship of Unitarian Universalists. Let's start with Dr. King. That's a good place. That's always a good place to start. I believe it was the 1964 UUA General Assembly in Atlanta, Georgia, that Dr. King said this. The law cannot make a man love me, but it can stop him from killing me. Now, I believe that when you hear the words of wise people, probably best thing to do is just to sit with them for a while, digest it, take it in, make it your own, and then amend it. And the process of amending it is just like, um, what would they call that? Would be, that would be like paying it forward, right? Because if you really do absorb it and take it in and, and make it your own, something will come out of that. It will give birth to something that's yours. So I applied that to this particular statement of Dr. King's, and lo and behold, it came back pretty quickly. And that was this. Dr. King said, the law cannot make a man love me, but it can stop him from killing me for a while. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's take a big leap. Now, recently we've been very much involved in law and politics and law. Uh, I know that most of you here have seen the past few days of proceedings. And I think it was actually very interesting. I Believe me, I, I didn't plan this. It just turned up that way. Um, I planned to do this conversation with you long before the um, impeachment process. But I think it stands that um, we do understand how close civil war lives to us. Civil war is a closer neighbor than we might like. Now, I began telling this to the Berkeley congregation, to the Berkeley Fellowship, oh, probably about a year and a little bit more ago, because I could feel it. I could feel that division in our nation. And I could feel the way in which everybody was just involved in it and swept away by it, really. Uh, and so I spoken, I said to the congregation, I said to fellowship, BFUU, we call ourselves BFUU, um, you know, this is, this isn't something that happens somewhere else. This is not something that couldn't happen here. It very much could happen here. And then I point out, I says, you know, when we think about it, when you look at Kosovo, when you look at uh, Rwanda, when you look at um, um, Syria, when you look at all of these places, we have to begin to understand that these are not um, some some part of the world that is completely unfamiliar to us. No, indeed, these people drive cars like we drive. 
They run on the same fuels that ours do. They live in houses that are really not that much different than ours, and they dress quite often like we do. So the idea that this is something that happens someplace else and can't happen to us is probably not the height of wisdom. We really need to pay attention to this. It can happen anywhere in a civilized world. And you've seen now just a taste of it because it may not be done yet. And then I want to remind you of one more thing about civil war, which it is the absolute worst kind of war that we can get into, that we can become embroiled in aside from, say, a nuclear war. But it's right up there. And, you know, I like delivering good news as much as the next person, and I would not count this in that category. So why do I say for a while? Because in each one of those places, each one of those places was part of the civilized world. And yet, in a matter of moments, it went from being we're watching TV to no electricity, no cooling for food, fuels at a premium, just like that. And when that thing happens, people are, generally speaking, not ready for it. Now, I'm going to put some... um a couple of links in the uh, chat box before we go. And there are going to be a couple of things you can look up about this to really see how this kind of thing sneaks up on us. And I don't want that to happen to anybody here. Now, currently there are approximately 95 million refugees on Earth. Probably a few more. The single greatest number of these are Syrians part of the civilized world. So Damascus, Kosovo, Sarajevo, all these places, they are not that different than us. And yet one moment things were fine and the next moment they weren't. And I got to tell you, 95 million refugees. What's the difference between a refugee and a, Oh, my God, I'm so lucky because my Nana got out of Germany uh, just before the whole thing hit. It could be a day, maybe two. One minute, you're the person who got out in time, and just a little bit later than that, you're a refugee. So what does this tell us? What's the point of this? A tremendous amount of money and energy is expended in getting the attention of politicians to represent our cause. They, in turn, pass laws and do such things as protect that are designed to do such things as protect our civil rights and so forth. And these laws are variously enforced, mostly most commonly in a fairly lopsided way. And then eventually they just break down. I was, in fact, at a conference in uh, Long – is it Longview? Where's It's a town in southern Washington state. Is it called Longview or is it it's Long Beach? 
I know we have a Long Beach, California. Anyway, there's a reactor there. Um, and we had gone to have this conference. And when we came out, the Iron Curtain had fallen. And do you know what happened within a year of that? Chechnya and Russia are having problems. All of the things that the law held together can disappear just like that. So if we can't make this change and we can't shift and we can't bring peace to our world, to our lives, and feel some comfort and safety that for that with our with our families, how do we how do we do that? Because we really, we really go through a great deal of effort to pass laws to prevent it. But ultimately, I promise you this, those laws will break down because they're impositions. They are impositions on human beings that have feelings all over the ballpark, ideas of how things should be done. And you know what? We don't, we're not supposed to agree on everything. Or as I like to say, if you and I agree on everything, there's one too many of us in this world. So what can we do to make that leap from can stop a man from killing me for a while to a world that we would actually want to live in? What do we do? How do we get there? Now, I'm going to give you a lot of times in my services, I, I, I leave us with a question. But guess what I'm going to do today? This is special. My Valentine's gift, my Valentine's gift to you today is I'm going to give you a couple of answers. I'm going to point not the only answers, but a couple of them that I've come up with. Communicate. It's not easy to fight while you're having a conversation. Unless you're in a comic book and then you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to fight and chatter the whole way through. But otherwise, it's very difficult to fight and converse at the same time. So I'm going to suggest a way that we do that. Now, you're going to have to help me with this. I don't know if you can see this. I'm going to try and put it where you can see it. Can you see this? Is it written right or is it backwards for you? Looks good. Looks yeah. good? Okay. Thanks, Amanda. This is a bell curve. Eric, you recognize the bell curve? Okay. This is the current state of our nation on bell curves. So here we have a little alignment. And I've drawn, I've drawn a line right down the center here. Now we think we know what's going on in the mind of the other. Why do we think we know what's going on in the mind of the other? Well, it's on the news all the time. But you see, that's the news. 
that doesn't have anything to do with real people or very little, let's put it this way. Very little does it have to do with real people. The news has to be exciting. If the news is not exciting, if it's not a laugh a minute kind of a thing or frightening or whatever it is, it doesn't make money. And if it doesn't make money, they don't get a chance to tell even a little bit of the truth. They've got to stay in the game. So even your best, your best correspondents have to keep it lively. So it's going to have some spin on it. And that spin is going to kind of tend to settle down into these certain wells. It's going to settle into certain kind of concept packets. Like a lot of the concept packets that divide us are not actually from us. They are the product of a large marketing communications, if you like, conversation. So who here feels like they have a pretty good idea what's going on, say, for example, with people in the Midwest? Let me tell you why I asked this question. I was taking my wife down um, further south in Chicago, out to 157th Street or something like that. I'm at 79th Street. But at 157th Street, way down there, there are these um, big plots of land that they call forest preserves. That's what they call them in Chicago. They can be anywhere from like four square city blocks, six square city blocks, even larger. And they're just randomly sprinkled throughout. Uh, a kind of clever thing that they did here provides oxygen, helps to change the air. There's space for wildlife. Do you know that there is so much wildlife in Chicago that some some creatures like pumas, coyotes, walk out of these uh, these parklands and actually end up at the lake. For an animal to walk from somewhere in Chicago or out west of Chicago and end up by the lake means it's crossed across an entire city to do that. Okay? So I'm taking Michelle down there to see one of these pretty places. And uh they're wilderness. They're they're not very they're not kept up very much. There's a few paths through some of them. Come of them some have some docent um exhibits and so forth. But um, while we're on the way down, we cross through this territory where you can look out across from the car and from the road. And you look out across and you see these squares out there. And, it, and you look at these squares. And then I start to notice something, which is that the trees inside the squares were much, much smaller than the trees outside the squares. And that's when I realized all of a sudden these were actually buildings once upon a time. In fact, it turns out a lot of these were industrial buildings. This was industry. And then I put that together with these kind of ghost towns that you go through in those areas. This is on the southern side of Chicago between Chicago and Indiana, really, right where the two kind of meet, a little bit west of that and so forth. And... There are people there, people living there, who've probably grown up there and are second, maybe even third generation. But that industry is gone. Okay? I will guarantee you some of those people voted for Trump. Do you know why? Neither do I. And how are you ever going to find out? On the news? I think not. The news 
as a dog in the race, okay? But these people have a point of view that we think we understand because quite often when we think of people who are Trump supporters and so forth, we think of people who are like Homer Simpson, right? And Homer Simpson's what? He's, he's kind of a dumb guy, right? Well, those people know that. They know that's what we think about them. They don't feel allied with us at all, nor we to them. But I'm going to tell you a little secret. They're Americans. Like you and like me. And how did they come to such a different point of view than the one that we harbor? And how are we going to begin to understand who these people are? Because you know what? The law is not going to pull this nation back together. The law doesn't do that. The law just stops people from killing each other for a little while. And when that happens, you had better make hay while the sun shines. Get to work. Because if you allow that distance to remain between us and the other people in our country, we're going to have trouble, a lot of trouble on our hands. See, this isn't Denmark. This isn't Sweden. This isn't Tunisia. This isn't any of a number of homogenous countries. We are a heterogeneous country. In fact, we are probably, well, let's just say one of, if not the, one of the most diverse nations in the world. And do you know what that means? Trouble. It's difficult. This is a very, very difficult nation to live in. And we govern it by this newfangled form of government called democracy, which is a fancy way of saying a somewhat organized way of disagreeing. Because there's going to be a lot of disagreement where you have this many different cultures of people coming and colliding into the same place. This place is built for trouble. Now, I still think it's a great experiment, but I think what's called for is something that we haven't really done much of in the past, which is, is we're going to have to learn how to communicate with capital T, V, capital O, other. Real quick question. Um, how many I, I don't know how we're going to do this. My, my screen's not set up for it, but I would just like to ask you, how many people here um, have uh, grown up in a culture of people other than their original culture of people? For example, how many of you have grown up or spent extended periods of time living in a culture of, say, African-American people? Show of hands. There's one. Let me get my thing here. I want to see if I can arrange this so I can see a little bit more. Yeah, here we go. Okay, there, good. Okay, let me see what we have here. One, two, three. 
four, not a lot, five, good. This is pretty good. Six-ish. He's not sure, but sounds like you're, you're, you're all conscient on that one. Okay, I got it. I got it. That's good. I would say that was like maybe a fifth of us or something like that. That's pretty good. Now, I myself, for example, uh, you, you may not know this, but I grew up with black people. Hey, there's a guy from Berkeley here. That's unusual. Anyway, um, I grew up with black people. I just did. Um, or, or Steve Martin liked to say, I, I grew up with a poor black child. Not altogether true, but kind of close. And uh, at sixth grade, something happened. We won't go into the details of it. And just like that, I ended up in a 97% white school. So, and then, you know, we kind of went forward from there. And then I bump into LRY. I end up with the Unitarian Church. I, by the way, come from an AME church. You familiar with that? Everybody know what AME is? African Methodist Episcopal. And are you also aware that uh, Universalists helped to um, to start that church? Richard Allen helped Richard Allen to found that church. Hmm? And what you may not also realize is Richard Allen helped them to found that church because, quite frankly, the Universalist church wasn't quite ready yet really to have a big flood of black people in it. So uh, um, uh, I forget who it was. Um, if if a universalist here can help me with that, you can just hit the um, hit your unmute button and tell us what was the name of the universalist uh, minister who helped us. I can't remember. But Richard Allen was the was the um, uh, founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Great church. Loved it in some ways. And I was just a pariah in other ways. I was a very scientifically minded child and like this. And when you start telling me about people getting swallowed by fish, it just makes me nuts. Um, now, maybe not so much, but in those days, it just drove me crazy. But here's my point. My point is, is that how are we going to learn to talk to the other? Who, hears, who here thinks that's a, a pretty good idea, like a decent idea? Okay. Okay. Wow. I'm, I'm really compressed. Um, so, but, and, and have you tried that yet? Does that seem like an easy thing to do? How would you connect with those people? It's kind of tricky, isn't it? You have to get creative about this. See, compromise, not the best thing in the world. Creativity, much better. So when you hit one of those little, one of those little impasses in life, instead of compromising it, my, my recommendation is, is get creative with it. Compromise just simply means everybody gets less of what they want. Doesn't make for happiness ultimately. Okay. But that's work. And just like the thing I'm proposing to you now, it's work. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of guidelines. Let's go back to my pictures. How to work with democracy. And see, here's the deal with democracy. You're going to lose sometimes, right? That's just part of the deal. It's going to happen. Roll up your sleeves. Get used to it because sometimes you're going to lose and sometimes you lose pretty big. All right? Okay. So look at this. Can, can everybody see this? How about here? Is that pretty good? Okay. So you'll see there's this division right down the middle. And on this side, it says left. That side, it says right. And right in here, we're pointing to this in-between space, and I say, can you communicate easily with these people right in here? 
And I say, sure. And then over here, can you communicate with these people between here and here? Can you see that? It's important that you get that there are some big spaces and then there's some little spaces in there, right? Now notice, here, I'll show you the next page. Out here and way out here, these fringes are called extremists. Can you recognize that this is where your extremists are going to be? These are your left-wing extremists, and these are your right-wing extremists. And you will notice that I put here, no. In fact, over here, I put no, no, no. These are not your target audiences, okay? These are not the people you want to set out and go and have a conversation with. Now, I've done some pretty foolish things in my time and walked away from it, but I wouldn't advise it. I wouldn't recommend it. Let's just say I did it so you didn't have to. I stumbled into one day. I was, you know, out with a friend, and we were looking to find a six-pack of beer, but we're in one of those neighborhoods where the store is way someplace else away, and you and you go into a bar. You could actually go into a bar and buy a six-pack of beer. I walk into a bar, and he and I were having a conversation about some comic book or something like this as we walked into that particular bar. And, uh, you know, we were so involved in our conversation that I didn't notice that there were a lot of young, ball-headed men with, uh, lightning zigzags and swastikas tattooed on their foreheads and things like this. And that probably, just so you understand, these would fall into the no range. These are not your target people to have a little chat with, okay? But you have to relate to this zone right in here, right near right near that center line. Because the truth of the matter is, is the people on either side of this line are not that different than you, not that different from you or me. They're very much like us. You see how close we are? And guess what else? Look, that's where the big population is. There are not that many extremists, but there are a lot of, what do we call it? Centrist, middle of the road people, middle people right in here, okay? Middle Americans and so forth go out here. Not so many of them either. But you're not looking for those people. And when we think about talking to the other, that's who we think about not wanting to talk to. And I'm saying to you, you're right. Don't waste the time. Could be dangerous. So drop that. But most people, most of the population is here in this middle band. What's the big deal about that? Okay. I'm going to tell you a little secret about democracy. If you're not already winning in everything, your job is to win hearts and minds. Done deal. That's it. And the only way you're going to win hearts and minds, it's not going to be, it's not really going to be in talking to the people you see in this room right now. Because what do we know about the people in this room right now? You're pretty doggone close ideologically. And personality-wise and everything, you're really pretty close. So let's put it this way. I'm going to bet you that, politically speaking, most of the people in this room are convinced that we're pretty close to right. Just plain right. 
right? Okay. But you know what? The people who are just on the other side of that line, they're not that far from right, but they're still on the other side of the line. And you want to coax them over to your side of the line, you're going to have to make some kind of contact with them. And that's the game of democracy. That's the way it works. You don't win hearts and minds, you lose elections. You lose all kinds of stuff. You you know, and you, you do it for long enough, you're going to lose some relatives. Now, here's my point. My point is, is that I think you get it by now. It's really very simple, but I'm going to give you another little guideline on how to do this. Don't tell them how to think. Don't tell them the right idea. Don't give them the right answers. Do this like you do if this were, if you were talking to your own kids in your own family and they come to you with a question and you don't necessarily give them the question, but you ask them a question that makes them go look it up. We're very clever parents, right? We know how to do this, but now is your chance to use those skills. You have to ask people questions and then you have to stop being right and listen to what they say, because I guarantee you this, they are going to tell you something you did not expect. They are going to tell you something if you listen for a while that you did not know a moment before because you can't get this on the news. The only place you can get it is from real people. You're going to have to get up and go out. You can contemplate this while the, while the pandemic is on. This is your moment to contemplate how you want to do this. But when this is over, we've got to go get out and make contact with some of those others. Or this nation is going to stay divided. And it will eventually rip itself apart. Now, one little last thing about my homeland in Berkeley. We are finding that it's not necessarily even that easy to get along with people that you do agree with. We have troubles with this sometimes. Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it that way, you might come back to thinking like, well, if I can't do that here, how the heck am I going to do that out there? And to that, I simply say to you, yeah. Good question. Better start working on answering it. I can give you a hint. Anybody want a hint? No? Okay. Couple. One, two. Okay. That's a few people. I'll give you the hint. Here's the hint. It's in your covenant. Stop fooling around with this business with your covenant and take it for real. Treat it as though it really means something. And then you'll have a shot at beloved community. And that, my friends, is very attractive. That is very attractive, even to people that you think of as other. If you can pull this off, if you can find a way to begin to take this Eshore community into some degree and state of beloved community, you're halfway there already. That will make a difference in the world. I got 
no, I'm not even going to go into that. I was going to say I have no thing about pronouns, plus or minus, or this or the other thing. Honestly, I'm a terrible person. I don't really care that much. Some of it is just that I'm a little bit old. I'm on immunosuppressants, and they mess with your memory a little bit, and so I'm not really good at it. But beloved community trumps that. Uh, I didn't mean it that way, but you know what I'm saying. It definitely wins. That's all you have to do. No big deal. Find beloved community here, and it will spread. Find that difficult, and you're just a human being. Is it worth doing? How much more of that stuff do you want to see? Do you want do you want the, the vision on the six to be the news, the nightly news? Then don't fiddle around with, with this as though it can't happen here, because I'm here to tell you it can. And I'm also here to tell you that there's a way out. Take your covenant seriously. Read it. Understand it. Understand what you're saying. And then know this. It is the agreement that you are all making of how to relate to each other. You're saying, this is the way we want to relate to each each other. This is the world that we want to create. You've gotten that far. That's pretty good. You've articulated it. You've spoken it. Now you have to do is do it. I just want to make sure I didn't. Leave anything important out, as they say. Well, there are a lot of different directions we can go with this. I think we've kind of hit it for the morning. I think we've done enough with uh, with it for the moment for the morning. But this all dovetails into things like what's racism, what's white supremacy, what is the distinction between the two. And that's a whole other thing. But, you know, racism is the child of white supremacy, not the other way around. Did you know that works in it works in one direction? Doesn't you know, it flows in that direction, doesn't flow in the other direction, really. Um, So anyway, that's something that we can talk about on another day. But I charge you with finding someone. And by the way, they're closer than you think. I live in Oakland, California, and I found out one day when the whole issue of masks came up, how many really fairly conservative people there were in the neighborhood just said who were all up in arms about being forced into uh, that state of being. But, um, and they got persnickety about it, kind of dangerous. That's one reason my wife lives in Chicago and I live in, I still live in Oakland. Safer for her here. Okay. Well, good morning to you. Really glad to meet you. Um, we'll send you some more snow, uh, and you can send us a little bit of a little warming temperature, and we really appreciate that. Ashe.